Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rambling Rev. I am your host, Pastor Scott Dalen. I am an ELCA pastor in Southwest Iowa, and I present these episodes every week for a couple of different reasons. It's the first of which is to take my brain out of the mode of background work over the course of the week and move into the process of writing and preparing and getting ready the sermon that I will preach to my congregation for the weekend. That's the first reason. And the second is just to allow you, the listener, who have graciously given up your time to come by and listen to me ramble to gain some different insight in the assigned text for the week. So that's why I do these. Now, this particular week is a little bit out of the ordinary in that I am not actually preaching. Uh, We have a gospel choir that will be here in my congregation and is leading worship, so I won't be offering a message this time around, and yet I want to keep the regular dropping of these episodes going, and so that is why I'm doing one anyway. This particular Sunday is February 23rd, 2020, last Sunday of February, also the last Sunday of the season of Epiphany and is Transfiguration Sunday. A brief word on where we're at in terms of the church year, the church calendar, the church schedule, whatever we want to call it. Lent is about to kick off. The season of Lent will begin on this coming Wednesday, the 26th, which is Ash Wednesday. And the final Sunday before Ash Wednesday wraps up the season of Epiphany with what is always Transfiguration Sunday. We always feature that particular story on this Sunday, though the source material does rotate between Matthew, Mark, and Luke each year through the three-year cycle of the lectionary. This particular year being in year A or being in the year of Matthew, of course, we have Matthew's account. And so our gospel lesson comes out of Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. This is a bit of a switch from where we have been at in recent weeks. I think I mentioned it in last week's episode that we've been in the very early portion of Jesus' ministry and his teaching, and we focused for several weeks in a row on the first chapter of the Sermon on the Mount and many of the various themes that kind of emerged through that early portion of his ministry. But at this point, we're actually fast forwarding, and this is quite close to the end of Jesus' ministry where we find it, just the placement in terms of the story itself. And that's important because we've had Jesus uh, moving towards Jerusalem. That's very prominent in Luke's gospel, not as prominent here in Matthew. And yet that indication is still going on that he is moving towards Jerusalem and uh, which will happen at Passover and what he knows to be his, uh, his betrayal and his arrest and crucifixion and resurrection. All of that is coming about. In fact, he's just been talking to the disciples about that prior to where we pick up here in chapter 17. That's important because of some of the interaction that we'll hear with one of or with the disciples in today's story. And I think that's just important to to kind of have in mind where we are in terms of that setting or in terms of that that overarching narrative that now we're moving towards the end, we're moving towards the completion, which is important as we move into the season of Lent, which will move towards Jerusalem and Holy Week and all of that as well. But with all that being said, all that background and scheduling and and context and all that, let's go ahead and read it and then we'll get into it a little bit. Now again, just kind of a reminder, not preaching this week, so I haven't done all of the normal prep work that I do. So this is kind of shooting from the hip, but this is a pretty pretty familiar story for me. So uh, I'll be able to offer some, some insight into that. So, okay, Matthew 17, 1 through 9. 
Jesus took with him Peter, James, and his brother John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Okay, so that's the passage. So what's going on here? What's what's happening? Where are we at? Kind of all of that. I have visited the, the mountain that is believed to be the mountain of the Transfiguration. It's in the northern part of Israel in the region of Galilee, a very beautiful, very lush, very green area. And it's this very large, tall, tree-covered mountain that is over top of a very wide open plain. And as you're going up the mountain, you can see everything is stretched out below you. And I think that's just an interesting topic to think about as we hear in the narration that Jesus goes up this high mountain. They're not lying. This isn't just a hill. It's a pretty high mountain with a lot of stuff below it. As they're doing this, This seems to be one of those moments and a very important aspect that we see both the divine and the human of Jesus kind of happening at the same time. For most of what we can get out of the narration uh, within the Gospels and within Jesus' ministry is typically we've got the man. Now, the man might perform the miracles, the miraculous things happen around him, and and that's evidence of his divinity, evidence of the presence of, of God. And yet we don't often see God in him, the divine aspect of of his person, of his being showing through the human. But this is a time when that happens in the transfiguration. We hear that his face shines like the sun, his clothes become dazzling white, and he's transfigured. Now, the the Greek for that is, well, I, I can't rattle it off off the top of my head, but it's it's where we get the word metamorphosis. So he is somehow changed. His very being is changed. And we don't know if it's a lasting change or if it's just in this this one brief moment, this one brief instant. I, I tend to think that it's just in this brief instant that, that it happens, but for whatever reason, it does occur. And we also hear that Moses and Elijah are there. We don't exactly know why they're there, although Luke does give us the that they're talking about his his pending departure in Jerusalem. Luke's the only one that tells us that. We just hear in Matthew that they're talking together. But Moses and Elijah are, of course, important figures for the uh, the Jewish faith. Moses is the giver of the law. Elijah is the representative of the prophets. So we have the law and the prophets that are all in conversation with Jesus. And of course, that puts me in mind of what we heard from him in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount that I referenced earlier. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill. And we find that the representatives of all three aspects, Christ and the law and the prophets are all in conversation with one another. That's kind of an interesting visual to think about, but that's that's going on. And we hear that Peter says, hey, Lord, it's good for us to be here. 
let's camp out here. I'll make three dwellings, one for each of the three of you. And we also don't hear about, there's a bit of narration in one of the other gospels. We don't hear about it here, but that Peter makes this statement because he doesn't know what else to say. And it's evidence that, that Peter is always the impulsive one. He speaks without thinking sometimes. He's always putting his foot in his mouth, which is something that happened directly before this. I, I mentioned earlier that Jesus has revealed to the disciples his pending betrayal and arrest and torture that is coming. And Peter's like, dude, no, that can never happen. And he and Jesus kind of butt heads over that. So that has just happened. I bring all of that up because it's it's interesting that Peter and James and John get to witness this moment. I was in my pastor's tech study earlier this week, and that was one of the features that we zeroed in on is why these three? Why did these three guys get to see it and and not everyone else? What did the other nine disciples think when they found out about it? Of hey, we Because the other nine disciples seemed to be down at the base of the mountain. So I'm sure they looked up and saw this bright cloud and wondered what was going on and maybe heard the voice of God boom out or maybe heard some thunder. Maybe they didn't hear anything. We don't know. We're not given that bit of narration. But later on, when the three disciples tell them what happened. I'm sure the other nine are like, oh, dude, we should have been a part of that. Why didn't we get to go? We also speculated, the pastors and I, of, well, did the other nine have their brief moments that we don't hear about in the narration? We tend to hear that Jesus brings, I call them the big three, Peter, James, and John. Jesus brings those three with him to some pretty important aspects, some pretty important miracles, including this one. And so what makes them so special but I speculated, maybe it's not that they're overly special. Maybe it's that Jesus thinks that these are the three that need a little bit of extra work, need some intentional work. Peter, as I mentioned, always putting his foot in his mouth. James and John are the two who have asked for the privilege to be able to sit at Jesus' right hand and his left hand when he comes into his kingdom. Though sometimes we hear it's their mother that asks that, but they're the recipients of that too. So maybe these are the three that Jesus is like, I need to give these ones some extra focus. They really need to see this stuff firsthand. And that's why he brings them. We don't know. We're not privy to that information, but it's interesting to think about of why these three, why does Jesus choose to reveal that to these three? And, and we don't know, but it's, it's worth thinking about. Overall, as I think about all of this, it's, it's interesting to consider the amazing moment that this must have been, and yet the utterly terrifying moment that it must have been as well. We hear when the word of God comes out and says, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. That very much echoes exactly what the voice of God said at the, the baptism of Jesus. And I'm going to paraphrase it, but I believe it's very, very similar. Uh, I'm not looking at it right now, but I believe that's also, this is my beloved son or this is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. We hear all of those same things. The voice of God continues to declare that and announce that. And in the season of Epiphany, when we consider ways that Jesus is revealed to the world, that's worth noting that God, the creator, God, the father, whatever we want to say, whatever word or descriptor we want to give to that aspect of God or that person of God or that member of the Trinity is pleased and is willing to announce it to the world, even if the world in this moment happens to be these three guys. But they're terrified. And with that, they hit the ground. And then the moment seems to be over. Moses and Elijah disappear. It seems that the cloud goes away. Maybe Jesus is back looking normal. Maybe he's not. We don't know. But he comes and he touches them. And he says, get up. Be risen. It's actually, I love how it's, there's a lot of passive voice in this particular passage. Jesus is transfigured. He doesn't transfigure himself. But that's passive. And he looks different. 
and then we hear it again be risen that's an interesting thing jesus doesn't tell them get up he says be risen or be raised which i can't help but think seems to indicate the resurrection and that he will be raised and that we too will join in the resurrection that's the promise that we receive and this is perhaps a little bit of foreshadowing to that that we will be included into whatever it is that's going on in and around and through jesus that we are a part of it and we see that here one kind of last thing that I, I want to bring up is this oddball thing. Jesus tells these three disciples, hey, don't tell anyone what you have seen until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. We call this the Messianic secret, and it's present here in Matthew. It's actually quite a bit stronger in Mark, but it's present here as well. And I always wonder, why would Jesus tell them that? Why wouldn't Jesus want everyone to know that he is the Messiah, and not only that he's the Messiah, but that he is also God, and that all of this is tying it. Why would he be secretive of that? And while I don't have a good answer to that, I find myself wondering if it's because Jesus knows that the disciples really can't piece all this together, they can't make heads or tails of it, and won't be able to until the death and then the resurrection happen, that they really see it come to fruition, see this Christ event come to fruition. Whatever it is that God is up to through Jesus, that has to be completed before they can really make heads or tails of it. And so even though the divine has shown through, Jesus is like, hey, why don't you guys just sit on this for a little while? It'll all make more sense later. And perhaps that's what's going on. I don't really know, but it is something that I often wonder about. That's really kind of what's going on here from the the overarching narrative or the art overarching my take on it anyway. As I mentioned, not preaching, so haven't done all the, the background work. And yet uh, this is a great story that I really appreciate and love and wanted to talk about anyway. So I want to say thank you for tuning in, for sticking with this. If you happen to be listening on iTunes and you appreciate these, uh, these episodes and think they are a benefit to you, if you want to leave a rating and review, that's always helpful. It helps get out to more people as iTunes uses that. Uh, if you're listening on one of the other things, hey, thank you as, as well. I, I greatly appreciate you giving of your time to come about with that. A little preview for what's coming next week. I mentioned Ash Wednesday is coming up next week, so I'll be doing a special episode in preparation for Ash Wednesday and preaching for that one. And then, of course, we'll have next week's regular episode as well. So I hope you have a blessed week, and we will catch you next time.